Hello and welcome to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma and you're listening to Management Decisions. Today we're going to be talking about corporate consinity. Now don't worry if you're not sure what that word means. I wasn't sure initially either. But we're going to speak with Nancy Falls to talk about this topic. She has a book out called Corporate Consinity in the Boardroom, 10 Imperatives to Drive High-Performing Companies. Now, Nancy Falls is a founder and CEO of The Consinity Company. That's a firm that helps companies transform the way their boards and leadership teams work together. And Nancy is recognized as a leadership and governance expert. So we're looking forward to the information and insight she can give us today. Thanks a lot for joining us, Nancy. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. Now, there are a couple of terms that I came across in being introduced to your book, and that book is called Corporate Consinity in the Boardroom, 10 Imperatives to Drive High-Performing Companies. I wanted to ask on those two key, really, terms there and how you would define them. First of all, how do you define corporate governance? Corporate governance is the process by which boards of directors support, advise, and challenge a company's management as it runs companies on a day-to-day basis. And what their main charter is, is to really ensure that the company meets its obligations to a variety of stakeholders while it is pursuing its own goals and objectives, financial and otherwise. It is the job of the board to give management that perspective as it delicately balances those sometimes competing interests between its goals and the interests of other stakeholders. I think that's a good base for our listeners. And then the other term is right from the title, and that's the idea of consinity. What is that? It is a great word. (laughs) It is. It's a very old word. I have to tell people I did not make it up. It's a, (laughs) a word pulled out of the 16th century, and it means the skillful and harmonious fitting together of the different parts of something. You might think consensus only an action word, and it's a word that conveys a sort of elegance in arranging things that are different, but when you put them together artfully, they work really well which is a marvelous word for business and organizations today, which really struggle to take all the disparate and different and sometimes fighting parts and figure out how to way to make those work together well. Well, I would think people listening can understand where this would be extremely important. As you mentioned, they're trying to bring everything together in that high quality fashion. So let's go ahead and just touch on some of these distinct imperatives that are mentioned in the book. Uh, We're not going to get to all of them, obviously, but just to give people a little framework about what they could expect from your book. The first one is just the idea of drawing a line in the sand. What are you hoping for people to take away from that? What that imperative is, is to clarify the roles and responsibilities between what does and should happen in the boardroom and what does and should happen in the C-suite. It's actually the most common mistake that I see boards and company leaderships make, and that is failing to have a clarity between what's my job and what's not my job. And it's very important to, as I say, draw a line in the sand, but I say in my book, make sure it's a line in wet sand because (laughs) it's going to need to move. As a company is on a different path, as the players change, but at all times, boards and C-suites need to be having an ongoing conversation about exactly what it is that they do and what it is they leave to the other party. Now, you said there that it's a very common mistake. Why do you think that is? What lends itself to being an issue for many individuals and many groups in these cases? That's a very good question, actually, one I haven't been asked before. I think that a lot of people come to the governance table 
whether they're observing it as from a position of being in company management or having been brought on a board. And they haven't really thought through their own definition, as you mm. asked me in the beginning here, their own definition of governance. Right. And as I describe it, it as one of advising and supporting and challenging management as it runs the company on a day-to-day basis, there's implicit in that this notion of distance, that you can't have perspective if you are trying to run the company day-to-day yourself as a board member. You have to sort of go up a few thousand feet to be able to offer that perspective. And a lot of people who get to to the boardroom table get there because they have been company leaders themselves. Sure. And they're really used to taking the bull by the horn and running things. And the job of a board member is not to do that, but <laughs> to take a step back. I, I think that's a great way to explain it. And you're probably right. You have those people who are a little bit different role than they're used to. Let's go to the second one because I think it does relate. Don't go overboard. And the note I had there was get the correct people around the table doing the right things. Why is that so important and valuable when you're talking about these situations? Well, the first thing you have to do if you want to have good governance in an organization is get get the right players. And a lot is being done, even as we speak, to improve, let's say, diversity among boards, to get more and more correct or righter people around the boardroom table. But once you get them there, they have to be doing the right things. They have to know what it is they're supposed to do and be very specific about that. And so we've seen a lot of evolution about the who, which is is the people around the boardroom table, and the what is the things they do. I think the real challenge, and this is where I go from this point on in the book, is the how. Hmm. Once you bring more people, more different people around a boardroom table, what gets really challenging is how they work together. It's easier to work with people who are just like we are. It gets a little more challenging when you don't have that. So it's really the how of, of these relationships between these people, which is where good governance can really make a difference. Right. Now, in a case, let's say somebody is on the board and it just doesn't seem like a good fit, how would you handle that situation? Because you see it obviously within you know regular business setting. You hire somebody, they just don't seem to be working out, they're not a fit, and then ideally you move on and find that right fit. Does it work the same way in these types of scenarios? There certainly is an analogy there, I would say. And I, and I would say in this in this particular arena of business, a good, the best defense is a good offense. Hmm. Boards ought to be very deliberate about self-evaluation. Sure. There are lots of boards out there who haven't yet gotten to the point of evaluating the work they do. Boards have to be just as deliberate about self-evaluation as they are about evaluating their management. So a lot are moving in that direction, but even beyond that, the very best boards are going not only into let's evaluate how we're doing as a board, they are beginning to evaluate individual board members. They will say, how is Nancy contributing her finance expertise? Or how is Tim contributing his marketing expertise? And then you can really be clearer to people about what it is and how they are to be contributing. And I think that people will rise to occasions. When they don't, and that is, if you've taken this approach to self-evaluation, it's no, it's no surprise on anybody's part mm-hmm. when it's not really a fit and we need to make changes. Another area that caught my eye was be prepared, culture and change readiness. What are the keys to that aspect? Well, it is, it is important 
for boards to realize that the responsibility for culture and managing culture doesn't stop at the C-suite. It's not just management's responsibility. Mm-hmm. And there are there's some pretty glaring examples of that out there in the press. The one that's been out most recently is American Apparel, whose CEO, former CEO, had been criticized of some pretty not uh, great activities. And it, and it continues to be written about and how it affects the culture of that company. Well, that wasn't just the CEO and the management team's responsibility. Culture really starts at the top. And so the board has to realize that it's its responsibility too. And if they don't sort of get that intuitively, I think most of us realize that change is the only thing that we can count on not changing. Change is coming, <laughs> change is going to happen. Right. And organizations have to be ready to change. So what, what's, the, what's the best enabler of, of change? Well, it's really a cultural thing. So as business leaders at all levels, we have to ask ourselves, have we created a culture that is open to progress? And that means change sometimes. You know, boards have to say, if we're going to survive in this rapidly changing and more and more complex world, have we got a culture that will embrace that? Another side of this that maybe some people don't like to talk about, or when you do hear about it, it seems to be on the negative, is compensation. Why does that matter so much when you're talking about bringing these individuals together? You're talking about the C-suite, talking about board members. Why does compensation matter so much in being able to keep everything together? Compensation is really a, I don't want to call it a red flag, but in many ways it is a bellwether. I guess I would say consensus around compensation. It is, it is a very hot topic in governance circles today. I guess I would say executive compensation mm-hmm. or outsized executive compensation is something everybody is talking about. And if you sort of get back to my fundamental premise is that we need a different way of leading and governing an organization today. And compensation just tends to be one of those things that really is very divisive and it tends to set people apart when you have, uh, I think in, in some ways we in corporate America and executive America have invited this because we do have lots of organizations where the person at the top makes, uh, pick a number, a thousandfold what someone at the bottom makes. Mm-hmm. And so as a board, if you're going to have that kind of compensation structure, and it's not always wrong, you have to say, is that consistent with our culture? Are our employees okay with that? Can we have a healthy culture and have that kind of difference? And are our other stakeholders okay with that? Do people sort of get that and are they okay with it? If they do, then we can hold this thing together with harmony and some sense of consenity with all the different stakeholders. If not, we really need to rethink that. The last part I wanted to ask about is cultivating wisdom. Specifically, I had highlighted a portion that mentioned reflecting versus reacting. I think a lot of people, even in their regular jobs, feel it's difficult to continue to develop and have time to to sort of reflect, as it's mentioned here. Why do you see that as being something that these groups, these boards, they have to be focusing on, especially if they're going to be successful for the long run? It is precisely because of what you say. Most of us in our day-to-day world, we get so busy, you know, sometimes we feel like we're on that smallest circle on the on the treadmill where we're going 90 miles an hour and the wheels get bigger and move more slowly as they get to the top. Well, if you, if you imagine, as I said earlier, there's this presumed distance between the board and its work and that of the, the leadership team. They, they should have more perspective. Mm-hmm. The board should be 
moving at a somewhat slower pace so that it can reflect before reacting because it is there to support and guide and challenge this management team that in this particular area of work is moving at a faster pace. Right. I like to think of this last imperative of mine, which is cultivate wisdom, as really the the duct tape in the toolkit <laughs> of a really excellent governance team. It is really what holds it all together. It is absolutely something somebody can start cultivating in their 20s or 30s as a business leader. I wish I'd done more of it. I think I would have had a lot more success and made a lot more people happy (laughs) if I had. I think it is something that boards can help their leadership teams with. And those of us that are not yet to that level of organization can begin to cultivate it on our own path to contributing powerfully. Nancy, I think you've given us a, a lot of good information here, some examples as well. As far as thinking about what this book is about, how maybe even looking at their own organizations, if they are in a similar situation, I wanted to give you the floor at the end, as we do with a lot of our guests. Anything you'd want to give the listeners as a takeaway from our conversation, just a, a brief wrap-up, if you will, about this conversation, this topic in general. Sure, I appreciate that. I, I think for me, there are really three takeaways. The first one is that The governance really does matter. It affects everybody. People want to do businesses with good companies that govern well. So good business and good governance go hand in hand. And I think it's important for us to remember how much it matters. We don't think about it enough. Secondly, is that governance problems and governance best practice are really quite universal. You know, what's good for Wall Street it's good for Main Street. It's good for not-profit organizations. And we all need to do more to think through best practice and how we, how we define that for ourselves. And I think thirdly is that we all need to take our place at the stakeholder table. You know, governance affects all of us, not just the people who are populating the boardroom or even the C-suite. It affects all of us as stakeholders, and we have a role to play. I, you know, the governance world is loving talking about FIFA in these last few weeks, the poster child for bad governance. (laughs) It's not just about FIFA. It's about the fans. It's about the players. Think about all the different people who've been hurt by this. And I I think to a person, we really need to ask ourselves, how do I claim my place at, at the stakeholder table in the organizations that affect me? Because I can make a difference. Boy, touching on FIFA is a good illustration here at the end, just as we uh, as I wrap up this conversation. Nancy, thank you very much for joining us and giving us some insight into this area today. Thank you, Tim. I enjoyed it. That will do it for us here on Management Decisions and our conversation with Nancy Falls, founder and CEO of The Consinity Company. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this episode or any of our shows, send us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also find us on Twitter at the LJN, and you can listen to all of our shows on iTunes. Just search LJN Radio in the iTunes Store. Thanks once again for listening. I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. Hey.